me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's where we were last week, and we're going to go back there and um, focus on verse 8 through 11 this morning. Before we get started, I want to pray together and pray specifically uh, for me and that there's a lot of hesitancy this morning about preaching this because um, there can be a lot of um, emotion potentially and um, opinion attached to what we're going to talk about, even in me. And I'm, I want us to pray together that he will strip me of that this morning and, and you of that. That he will eliminate opinion or some people may call it baggage. He'll strip us of that this morning as we look at the law. And he would inform us with the word. And that we'll look to this. Look to the word this morning to look at this harmony that hopefully we have between the law and the gospel. And then I want us to pray for another church as well. So y'all pray to that end with me. God, we need you this morning. I need you. I pray that you would give this people your message and keep me out of the way. Um, Our hearts have already been prepared in a way to hear this. And I pray that we would hear clearly what you have to say to us via Paul and Timothy and Ephesus and false teaching. That you would make things clear for us this morning. I also want to pray for a a church in a community that many of us, where many of us live, Faith Bible Church in Caddo Mills. Uh, Many of us have friends and acquaintances that go there and attend there and worship there and It's my prayer, God, that you would, um, in your church, that you would be worshipped, that the gospel would be put on display, and that you would save your people, save many people, for your glory through that church and through Randall, their pastor, that you will, probably as he's preaching now, I, I would pray that you would use him and do to him what the gospel is doing here and do it to him and strip away what you're hopefully stripping away from us this morning. And I pray that you would be glorified in Faith Bible Church in Caddo Mills and use him this morning, use Randall this morning to preach the gospel. And that we would be teammates that would edify and build up your church there in Cattle Mills. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We have been in um, this chapter the last couple of weeks. Uh, A few months ago, I preached out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, and now we're rounding out. Uh, We did two two sermons on 4. Now we're going back to 1, and uh, we won't quite finish 1, but we'll save that for another time. But some of the things, the background that we've seen is and Paul is giving us some three pastoral letters, three letters to pastors and to the church to give them. Uh, one main theme is get the gospel right. Make sure what you're teaching and you're preaching is really the gospel. Get it right. Um, he gives us instruction and order in order to amplify that gospel. And so we're given three books of our Bible that essentially have to do with asking the right questions as we come to the preaching and the teaching. And so we've talked about some of those questions. What questions are you asking? How does the gospel inform your family? What are, we, what are we asking when we come to preaching and teaching? What are some of the questions we're asking when we're listening and reading things that inform our walk and our journey? And so now we're going to focus on verse 8 through 11, but I want to start back in verse 1. and Let's just read the first 11 verses here. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God, that is by faith. This is what we looked at last week. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So let's look at verse 8. This is where we're going to start. I'm going to give you kind of where we're headed. Um, <clears throat> the, the first place we're going is that the law is good. He says that in verse 8. The law is good. And it's good for a couple of reasons. It's good for a lot of reasons. We're going to look at two this morning. The law is good. And the second thing that we're going to look at is that we're dead to the law. And the third thing is that we're going to look at harmony. That's the goal. Hopefully, by the end of this message, this is what I'm praying, is that we will be a people who walk out of this building aching for harmony between the law and the gospel. That is my prayer, that we would ache for it, that we would want it to permeate our lives, permeate this church, permeate our worship, that there would be this beautiful harmony between God's precepts and grace. Okay? So that's where we're headed. And then we're going to end with the tricky part, and that's negotiables. What do we do with negotiables in this journey? So that's where we're headed, okay? The law is good. Why? As Paul is talking about these men who are misusing the law, they don't really know it. They're, they're preaching these fantastic stories about people that are in genealogies that are in the law, and then they're, they're making up stuff that it may not always be true. It may sort of be true, but it's not completely accurate. And then why does he come now and say, now we know that the law is good. And, and the law is good for, for two reasons. It, it's a tutor. It teaches us about our sin. That's the, that's the number one reason. And the second reason it's good is that it gives us instruction for how to move in this journey. It's, it's good because it reveals our sin. And number two, it's good because it shows us how to walk in this journey. First thing, the, the, the law is good because it's a tutor. It highlights our sin. He says in verse 8, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9, Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. The law amplifies, highlights, points out, and makes my, my sin Stick out like a sore thumb. It, it makes my sin apparent and obvious to me. The law is good because it shows me that I can't measure up. Turn to Romans chapter 7, and, and Paul does a great job showing this. We're going to be in 7 a couple of times this morning. Look at what he says here about the law and why it's good. He has just been talking about the fact that he kind of corrects the law and he, ampli he clarifies the law that we don't, aren't owned by it. But then he goes quickly in verse 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, yet if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive and apart from the law, but when the commandment came, 
Sin came alive and I died. You hear what he's saying? I, I had no idea that I was even sinful until, until God said, look, here's my standard. And it's like, oh no. Oh Lord. <laughs> Here, don't covet. What does covet mean? Oh, I do that a lot. But without knowledge of what coveting is, without the law, we don't know that there's something wrong. So it's good, right? Keep reading. Verse 10, the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. What I was clinging to for life, trying to measure up, said, you can't measure up. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteousness and good. So the law is good. Why? Because it shows me and reveals to me what's wrong with me. It's good. It's good like a diagnosis of cancer is good. This is what I mean by that. If there's symptoms showing up in my life that I might have cancer, I can be in denial all day. I can be fearful. I can, I can do lots of things about that. But what I need to do is I need to get it diagnosed so that I can get the appropriate Accurate, timely treatment. Do you see that? It, now, that, that illustration doesn't play out for us. The cancer illustration doesn't because we have a cure for our cancer. Jesus. And so, the law is good in that we don't even know we need Jesus without the law. Do you see it? It's good. It's good to have his precepts. It's good to have this diagnosis. Otherwise, we're good. I'm good. These false teachers in Ephesus, they are intoxicated with their own righteousness. They're blind. And they're not convicted by this law. Do you see what he says? Look at verse 9 again. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners. It's not laid down for the just. The law does not do any good for people who say, I'm good. I'm good. Romans 3.23 does not apply to these teachers. For all have fallen short. All have sinned and fallen short. It doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply to these guys who are teachers, very likely elders in this church. It doesn't apply to them. I, I'm thankful for Romans 3.23. I'm thankful that it says, all have fallen. It's clean. I mean, there's no fuzziness there. It's clear diagnosis. And it's good that it's clear. All have fallen. Short. And for these teachers, for these preachers, you would hear, I don't think that applies to them. I don't think 323 applies to them. I don't think that this, they've been diagnosed. They're not convicted over their own sin. So think about that. When we're thinking about what questions are we asking when we're preached to? What questions are we asking when we speak, when we teach? What questions are we asking? Are we mindful that the law is good, that his precepts are good? Are we so intoxicated with our own righteousness that we're just blind to God's precepts, to his law, to his standard? These guys aren't convicted. The second reason the law is good is that it's instruction for life. And I'm going to have you turn to a few passages because I want you to read them with me, okay? Not out loud, but read them to yourself. Turn to Psalm 19. We're going to be, keep your, your finger there in, uh, in Romans and I'll, I'll read the text that, we're, that it's kind of launched us. I'll read 1 Timothy to you when we go back to it. But keep your finger in Romans 7. Let's go to Psalm 19. And listen to what the psalmist says about God's law. Okay? And look for the adjectives. If you have a pen, underline them, circle them. I found 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. There may be more. But listen to the adjectives that are described about God's precepts, his ways, his standard, his law. Listen to how they're described. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteousness altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I want you to see here that he sees that God's ways, the, God, the standard that God lays down is good. It's perfect. It's sure. Right. Pure. It enlightens the eyes. That means it's crystal clear. It's clean. It's forever. It's true. It's righteous. It's gold. It's sweet. And yet he, he finishes this thought in 13. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I'll be blameless. He's hopeless. Hopeless. He knows these things, but he is hopeless unless God intervenes. Do you see that? I I love your law. You are right. Everything you say, all the laws, all your expectations of me are right. But how can I know all my sin? Verse 12, how can I even know all my error without you? You are right. I am not. And I am hopeless unless you intervene, God. Hear that from the psalmist. Now turn to Psalm 119. A few pages over. Look again at what he says about God's ways, his precepts, his law. They're good. They, they, they inform how we walk. Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. And when I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How in the world am I going to do this? By guarding it according to your word. How is your journey guarded? How is your journey informed? How do we know how to walk in this grace? The law, his precepts, his word. So it's good because it amplifies our sin and then it's our guide. That's why the law is good. There's a difference between worshiping God because his precepts are true and mine aren't, that's where it should take us as worship. He's perfect, he's true, he's clean, he's forever. I am not. He loves me. Wait a minute, let me back up. He's perfect, he's clean, he's true, he's forever, he's sure, he's just, he's right. And I'm never those things. And he loves me? That's worship. And, and we have to caution ourselves here when we read these psalm and we see these things, we can take up these precepts and go, that's what I'm going to be. I'll be those things. I'll make sure I do whatever it takes to be clean, pure, right, true, sure, and forever. And, the next, and you know what that looks like? From, if you're the one doing that, to everybody else, it looks like a, a loaded gun. It feels like a loaded gun. It's like, instead of worshiping, we say this, and this is what's happening in First Timothy and Ephesus. It's like they're cocking the gun. Uh, 
I'm measuring up to some of this law. I'm pretty good at being right and pure and clean, and I've never done such and such and that and that, and I've never done this and that, and I'm holding up to some of that, and I'm your model, so do what I do. That's what these teachers do. They take God's precepts, and they do their best to measure up, and even if they're not measuring up and not convicted by it, they say they are, they lie, and they're not transparent and sincere, and to everybody else, it's, you need, to, you need to model me because I love his precepts. I even know more of them than you. So you can't talk. I'll talk. You do what I do. Do you see that, that what's happening here with the precepts? They don't love God. They don't love his law. They're using it as a weapon to hold people at gunpoint. We can't do that. We worship him because he's right and we're not and he loves us. This is what's going on in Ephesus in 1 Timothy. These guys are, they are distorting God's precepts. They're starting arguments, vain discussions that we see in verse 6 or 7. They're starting arguments to make themselves look good and look smart. Arguments about what God expects and how you're not living up to it. And they're only placing a burden on the people. That's not using the law lawfully. Okay? Here's how we use the law lawfully. Look again at 1 Timothy. If you can flip back there. If you can't, I'll read it. 1 Timothy 1. The second part. I think it's verse 11. He says, we know, in verse 8, he says, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, comma, and he goes through a list of what that convicts. It convicts the unjust. And then he says, the law is used lawfully in accordance with a glorious gospel. Harmony. Do you see that as the goal? Harmony is the goal. Harmony. Here's the second point today. We are dead to the law. We're dead to it. It's good. It's a tutor. Yes, it gives us instruction for life. The goal is harmony between the law and the gospel. But we are dead to measuring up. We are dead to measuring up. I'm dead to the law. It's good, but it doesn't own me. The Spirit does. The law is good because it's a tutor, but it has nothing to do with my salvation. Only that it points me to Jesus. Do you see that? Look back at Romans 7. This is the first part of that passage in chapter 7. We read a while ago that he said the law is good because it shows us our sin. And I wouldn't even have known about sin had I not known the law. In verse 4, listen to what he says. Romans 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to one another in him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we are released from the law. Having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. We're under the Spirit and grace. We are not under a written code. Our salvation, our righteousness has nothing to do with how we measure up. We're so dead to measuring up. We are dead to that. We live under the Spirit. We live under the law. And so you have to begin to ask yourself the questions. Are you being reminded when you are preached to and you are teached to and you are listening to the radio and you are listening to podcasts and you are reading books and picking up and somebody's recommending this and recommending that? What are you teaching and saying to your children? What are you teaching and saying to your spouse? Are you being reminded of how you should measure up? Is that, is that just a kind of continually a theme? What questions are you asking? Are you more reminded about how, man, you can do it? There, here's five things from the Bible that you need so that you can do it and be a good church member or be a good giver or be a merciful husband. Is it Five steps to how you can make it happen. 
What questions are you asking? Are you consistently being inspired to live and change and do better? Ask yourself those questions. When I come to hear preaching and teaching, am I consistently inspired to do better? Are you listening to persuasive speeches that put man's creativity on display and they leave you feeling pumped up about managing my sin? False teaching. False. Ask these questions that Paul is asking and he's telling Timothy. It's not the gospel. If you are continually being placed back under the law. And that's what that is. If you leave here with sin management skills, that's all that is. It's placing you back under the law. Teachers and preachers that promote a moral instruction or pontificate over the meaning of the law or pontificate over, and what I mean, they just go on and on about what this might mean or could mean for your journey. And don't take you to Jesus as the answer, not the gospel. This is the seed that's been sown all around us. In our context, in our counties, I fear that what we've sown is a seed that says, just come to Jesus, and then after that, we'll help you manage your sin. But a message that is called the gospel that says, just come, just, just come, just come to him, and we'll, sort it, we'll help you sort out everything else. That says to people, just come and you'll be good. You don't really need the law. You just need to come. And it says, you can manage this thing. But after our eyes have been opened to Jesus, we still need the law. We need it to inform how we walk. And we need it as a constant reminder that we can't measure up. I don't come here today to hear preaching and worship so I can leave here a better dude. That's not why we're here. We're here to be reminded. We're here to be reminded. And I hope that's what's happening. What kind of questions are you asking? The thing that I find that I need to be reminded of more and more and more. Because, by the way, I'm still asking those questions. I'm thinking, how am I going to, how is this going to help me? How, how is this going to make me a better dad? How is this going to make me better? But when, when God really uses his precepts in Scripture to really make my sin come to the forefront, you, you know what I really love? I really want the good medicine is that I know in whom I'm alive. When I hear those scriptures when Paul says, Christ in me. When I hear him talk about he's foremost of sinners, but it's Christ in him. That's what I need. I need to know in whom I'm alive and that I'm dead to measuring up. I'm so dead to measuring up. Galatians 3, just write this down. Galatians 3, don't turn there. It says, we are not perfected by the law. For the sake of time, we won't turn there. But listen, Galatians 3 says, we are not perfected by the law. Paul even starts off, listen, Paul starts off that, that uh, passage with this. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If, if they can be bewitched, so can we. And this is how we can be bewitched. I have Jesus. Now, how do I manage this sin? Uh, I, okay, I feel like I've got to do something here. What else do I need to do? And Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Do you think you've been perfected by your works? The only perfection is his law. And the only way I measure up is that he clothes me with Jesus. That's it. That's all. As a preacher, that's all I've got for you. As the church, that's all we have for people. That's what we have. That's our gospel. Man, I don't measure up. I'm alive in him, Jesus. 
And I'm reminded plenty of my failures. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. If you come here bummed out about your failures today, um, and that takes you to depression and takes you to, well, man, I'm failed and I need to figure out a way to get this thing out of the ditch. Don't do that. Don't go down that road. That's trying to be perfected by the law. Go down this road. I'm reminded of my failures today, and I'm also reminded of an atonement. I'm reminded of a final and complete atonement. I'm reminded that I'm alive in Jesus, and that's the only one. I'm reminded of Romans 4 that says, I, there's no righteousness in me. None. So it makes sense that I come in here feeling like a failure. But I'm also reminded that I'm covered. And then he says, you're loved. And he says, your righteousness is Jesus, not you. That is good news. Harmony. We looked at verse 11 where he says in 1 Timothy 1, we looked at that just a second ago. The law is only good in that it works in accordance with a glorious good news that we don't meet the standard, but one met the standard for us. Now, I'm not musically gifted. I'm the last person on the planet right now that needs to talk about harmony. Uh, I have no idea how to achieve harmony musically. I have no musical gifting in me at all. I'm the last guy that should be speaking about harmony. But I do know this. I know when I hear it. And I know when it's absent. And it sounds really good when I hear it. And it sounds really bad when I don't. Here's what happens when there's no harmony between God's precepts that are good for me and are instruction and show me that I don't measure up and this grace that says, I've covered you. Here's what happens when those things aren't in harmony together. Separated, you have the law and separated from the gospel, you're left with this. You have to try and measure up. Without the gospel, it sounds like words we've used like legalism. We've thrown that one around. You need to do this list of things in order to be righteous. Apart from the gospel, the law screams at us. You must try and measure up. And the gospel, separated from the law, looks like this. I got Jesus and I can do whatever I want. You see how ugly both those things are? How nasty and not God-glorifying those are, and how self-centered they are. That is so selfish, both of those things. When they're separated, it is not pretty. When the law doesn't have the gospel, you got to measure up. Work harder, be better. When the gospel is separated from the law, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. Me and Jesus are good. I pray to prayer. We're good. Do you see why when I say a gospel seed that's been sown all around us, that is, I'm going to call it weak, not accurate? That's why we have people who think, ah, I'm good. I got Jesus, and I can do whatever I want. There's no law, there's no precept, there's no design, there's no information, there's no instruction from his ways. But when they're together, when they're in harmony, they sound like this. I can't do this. I can't measure up. I'm doomed. How can I know all my sin? I've been rescued. I'll do whatever you say. Hear it again. In harmony... The law shows us, I can't measure up to this. I cannot do this. You are perfect, clean, pure, forever, right, sure, just, and I'm none of those things. And I can't do that. I'm doomed. How can I even know all my sins, man? But in Jesus, you've loved me and chosen me and rescued me from my sin and from your wrath. If that's true, I want to do 
whatever you say. If it's in here and it's your precept, I want to align my life with that in worship. Knowing that I'm not trying to measure up, I'm resting in grace. But what you say is good. If you're the one that saved me, then I'm listening to you. God, if, if, you, if you say it's true and it's good and it will guard me, then I'm going to do it because you rescued me and your ways are good and I'm not. So I'm going to do whatever you say. And so that's the angle we take to his precepts, not using them as a weapon, making ourselves feel good about ourselves. We say, man, I'm doing whatever he says. He rescued me from my sin and his wrath. I'm going to do whatever he says. His ways are so good. Oh, they're so right. And I'm going to align my life and my journey will be according to his precepts. And here's the tricky part. When we say that his law amplifies our sin and gives us instruction for the journey, um, we can sometimes take his precepts and use them as a weapon. We can sometimes take his instructions for living and we can quickly make up our own regulations in the area of negotiables. There are things as we study the scripture about the character of God and how he moves and who he is that have shown us some non-negotiables. Our righteousness is outside of ourselves. Non-negotiable. Every word, God-breathed and profitable, non-negotiable. So there are things that are non-negotiable. But then we're left as a church with some things that are non-negotiable. And so now what do we do? What do we do with this beautiful harmony that is God's precepts and grace? God's precepts and grace. How do we live? And there's two verses that inform that. I want you to look first, Colossians chapter 2. Paul gives us some help here. And what to do with these non-negotiables. This is intertwined with what Paul is addressing in 1 Timothy, and here's why. <clears throat> these, these false teachers will take what they've known about the law and their ignorance of the gospel, and they'll, they'll make up some regulations. They'll, they'll make up uh, things like asceticism, a fancy word for saying, I'm going to abstain from something. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I trust Jesus, but you also need circumcision. You also need to don't eat chicken and uh, don't get married. That's what 1 Timothy 4. Don't eat meat, a certain kind of meat, and don't get married. So there's these self-man-made regulations to help us feel better about our own unrighteousness, about our own righteousness. So Paul says, no, that's not the gospel. And they're all concerning negotiable things. Look at Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at 13... Through 15. Listen to the beautiful harmony here. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The legal demands on your heart, you can't measure up, nailed to the cross. He disarmed rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So here's what's happening. The enemy, our debt, and legal demands have been shamed. If you were to get out your thesaurus, it would sound like this. Open shame, been made to look foolish, chumped. Shamed, disrespected, slammed, embarrassed, red-faced, humiliated, degraded. They eat crow. That's what the legal demand that the law says I have to measure up. The cross says eat crow. Law, eat it. Jesus. That's good news. Man, I'm thankful for that. The enemy and my debt and the legal demand on my soul has been chumped. Slammed, humiliated, red-faced. And that is good. That is good news. But it's also good. 
You see the harmony? You hear it? Look at verse 16. Therefore, what do we do with what do we do with this journey now? If that's true, what do we do with his precepts? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason about his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, to Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, it is with Christ that you died to the elemental elemental spirits of this world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? We don't take his precepts and create regulations. We are dead to them. We are dead to the law, but it informs how we live. There's this, these people that teach like that have a false humility and a false wisdom. It would be wise for you to abstain from eating chicken. Uh, it would be, there's this humility like, I'm, I'm doing, this is what's best for you. So we don't come up with regulations over the negotiable things. We don't come up with regulations where God has not said and mandated. We don't take his precepts and make up a list of regulations for the journey. So what do we do with that? What do we do? Romans 14 informs that. Don't turn there, just listen. Just listen to Romans 14. What do we do with these negotiables on the journey in this harmony of law and grace? What do we do? I'm just going to read a few snippets here and just listen as they're, as they're pieced together in this passage. What are we to do with all this? You say um, private school. I say public school. Um, and you say homeschool. So what do we do with that? Do we, Colossians 2 says, well, you don't pass judgment on each other about negotiable things. You, you don't say um, ours is right and you're wrong. You say Grace, and the gospel says we're going to help each other in that. Listen to, what he, listen to what this says. One person believes he may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. We heard a few weeks ago a message by Ben on we do pass judgment on each other. But I want to make something clear. We pass judgment on each other regarding our sin. The bride is kept pure when we pass judgment on each other regarding sin. Paul is not talking about that here. He's talking about negotiable things, eating and drinking. Uh, Can I mow my yard on Sunday? I don't know what to do with this. There's some things that the Bible doesn't inform that we're left to work with each other in. And it's good for us, we're going to see. Listen, one person esteems one day is better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gave thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Therefore, here's what we do. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Do you see how grace and patience and mercy has to invade these precepts? I may know it's okay to do something. Or he starts out this chapter with one brother is weak. One is strong. I have weaknesses that you don't have about moderating things. And you see things differently. You see something as unclean that I say is clean that the Bible's not clear on. I I may be fully convinced that it's clean. But you think it's unclean. My liberty with what's clean gets trumped by edifying the body. My... What I feel like is clean to eat or mowing my yard on Sunday or sending my kid to public school. Whatever I think about that gets trumped by edifying the body. 
And I don't flaunt my liberty with public school or private school. I don't flaunt my liberty. Some of y'all have liberties with Dr. Pepper and tortilla chips that I don't have. I, I can't. I, I, a few weeks ago, I, I drank a Dr. Pepper, and I was like, well, that's just one. And then three days later, I'm killing a six-pack of that stuff. I, Dr. Pepper is a weakness for me. I, I have trouble moderating things. You don't flaunt your liberty with Dr. Pepper. To me, that, that's not helping me. You want Dr. Pepper? You know, that, that's a very silly illustration to say, I don't struggle with it. I can have one and then put it away. I don't struggle. I struggle with buttery and cheesy things. That's what I struggle with. I can't moderate those things. And I'm, I'm not just being silly. I can't. I can't moderate them. Let me finish. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Here's where I hope to clarify this, and I hope. Summing up Romans 14, there are things that are negotiable. Okay, then help each other. Let's help each other. I can't moderate some things. Help me. Don't put it in front of me. <laughs> I don't understand that it's not okay to mow my yard on Sunday. Help me. Be gracious with me. Don't flaunt your liberty with something. That doesn't help me. And here's the thing. We are told over and over, and especially here in Romans 14, the whole chapter, to be careful. To be careful with God's precepts and his laws. Colossians 2 says, don't make regulations and throw them on everybody else about negotiable matters. Don't do that. And if you have liberty with something, we're, we're not instructed. I think you'll be hard-pressed to find in Scripture where we're instructed to, I have liberty with some things that are negotiable, and I need to tune everybody else up with that. They need to be free too. Remember, they're the weak brother. I'm not weak. So I want to make everybody else strong. I'm going to flaunt my liberty. Yeah, you do have liberty in that. Don't let anybody put a regulation and disqualify you if you have a liberty over negotiable matters. Don't let that happen. Don't let someone disqualify you, Colossians 2. But nowhere are we instructed to bring everybody else up to speed on our liberty. We're just not. And so there's this weird vacuum of instruction in our Bible where this looks like harmony. It looks like harmony when we help each other. When one person can't moderate this item and another person thinks it's wrong to do this, then we don't flaunt liberty, but we help each other. Knowing, how can I know all my sin? How, only God's ways are right. Let's help each other be the beautiful bride that says his ways are best. Let's do it his way. And how do we do that? Be careful and patient with harmony as our gold. We don't standardize and legalize negotiable things here. This isn't a house of standardization. <laughs> Which you need to ask yourself those questions when you're hearing preaching and teaching. Remember what Paul's saying. When you're listening to podcasts and you're reading books, are you hearing, this is how to standardize your life. This is how to manage your sin. This is how to standardize this Christian should look like this. That's not pretty. Be liberal in this area, but not in this area. Be conservative in this area, but not in this area. And there's this standardized Christian that's not pretty. We are in harmony with weaknesses and strengths and baggage and confusion. And this is clean, that's unclean. And God's precepts are right. Let's all find them together. But let's know that there's a harmony when we all can say, there is no way I can know all my errors. There's no way. I want to help you because I know there's no way you can know all your sin. His ways are right. And let's enjoy that we are perfected in Jesus only. Only. That's the only way we're perfected and redeemed. <laughs> 
And there's a harmony. We got three books in our Bible that speak to this. Three books in our Bible that say, ask questions about what is being taught. Are you asking those questions in how the gospel, in harmony with his precepts, informs your fathering and your mothering of your family, of your friendships and your relationships? And my prayer is that, I just can't imagine that when... We've talked before about the Corinthians passage that says aroma of life to some and that are being saved and aroma of death, that we are an aroma of death to people who aren't being saved. It's my prayer that we would not just be this aroma, but that we would be, we would sound good. We would smell good, but we would sound good and that Jesus and his gospel, and his glory, and his mission, and his ministry would sound good. Not because we've all standardized ourselves. But that we're all different. And we help each other. We help each other, and it's harmony. And we help each other, and we remind each other about who, in whom we've been perfected. That the law teaches me and reminds me over and over and over that I don't measure up. I'm so done with measure up. I hope people hear that. Man, those crosspoint people, they don't try and measure up. They, they trust Jesus. And they help each other with the other stuff. That's my prayer for us. And I think that's Paul's prayer for a lonely dude in Ephesus who is trying to lead people. And the key is, make sure what you're saying is the gospel. And make sure that people know that the law is good. And they know why. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder that your law is good and that your gospel is glorious. Thank you, Father, for the air that we're breathing and the moment in which we sit where we can say that we can't measure up. But we can say with confidence and boldly, we are redeemed. And we praise you and worship you in this moment because of that. Thank you for your precepts and your ways that are true and sure and forever and sweet and gold. And thank you that they don't own us. But you've stepped in. And God, it's so amazing to us. Thank you, Father, for this church. I pray that, God, we ask that your spirit would enable us to be harmony, that we would sound good as we move about in our neighborhoods and at work, that we would sound good because the law and the gospel of grace have come together and they sound good. And that's our prayer. We can't do it, God. We need your help. And I pray we would help each other in the journey. In Jesus' name, amen. supper this morning we're instructed and reminded in the word we can do this in a right way and a wrong way in a right way we come and worship we have the finished work of Christ in view what he's accomplished for us and we've just heard it with great clarity we've just heard it from the word the testimony of Christ in us and his finished work if that's not your testimony this morning we'd ask you not to take of the supper you bring judgment on yourself in doing so, the word says. If you are in Christ, listen. Remind you of a few things. Matthew five seventeen says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. What you've heard is that the law is good 
It's holy. It's consistent with who God is. That's why Christ could come and fulfill, and we can't. Remind you of what Brad said from Romans 7, 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So this is your story, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Listen, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He came. The body of Christ fulfilled the law so that we're dead to the law. We belong to Christ, his righteousness, and we can bear fruit for God, worship him. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me blood of the new covenant, forgiveness of sins, it's worship. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we've been instructed by your word, taught and grown, stretched, Father, I pray that our response is worship. Where we've been striving after the law, Father, I pray that you help us see grace. Christ is fully in view, his finished work, and that's the gospel we share and bear witness to. Father, as we come to a time when we bring our gifts and offerings, I pray that we would do that in worship in response to who you are, what you have provided for us and given to us in Christ. Out of reverence to him and in remembrance of him, we pray in his precious name. Amen. At this point in the service, if we didn't have the gospel, we'd either sing a song about how awesome we are or how horrible we are. But because we have the gospel, we're going to close uh, by singing a song about how great God is because of the work he's done. Y'all stand. We're going to do the offering thing, but we can do I probably shouldn't have shared my inability to moderate butter cheese and Dr. Pepper on a, on a day we're having a potluck <laughs> tonight. Um, bring those things. They, the body needs those things. And uh, y'all are going to make me eat lean meat and vegetables. But, um, I hope that um, today, what you'll be asking is, um, is, is my heart and my life harmonious? Am I holding high the precepts of God? And then do, does my life put on display that Jesus saves the day? Now, maybe that's a good question for you to ask as a family. Is our family holding high the precepts of God? And do we put on display that Jesus saves the day? And so we don't throw out regulations, but that we help each other? Is that, what, is that what's happening? Maybe that's a good question you can ask um, 
over dinner today. We're going to meet up here tonight for a night of thanks at 6 o'clock. That's correct, right? Okay. 6 o'clock in here. Um, and uh, we're going to, it's going to be a good time. So um, y'all come and bring lots of buttery things. It'll be good. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll uh, be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word today. <clears throat> thank you for this church body and how they've moved, how you're moving in them. And God, help us be harmonious. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.